Hello friends. Welcome to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden. Since the dawn of humanity, we've been trying to make sense of our unpredictable world. Today, it may seem like all our oldest questions have been answered, but there's still plenty of mysteries we have yet to understand. And for those things we can't fully grasp, we have superstitions. Today, we're looking at a genre of superstition that has been around for centuries. Ever since the first humans witnessed thunderstorms, we've been forming weird and wondrous beliefs about thunder and lightning. You've probably found yourself there before. Out on the road, caught in a storm, rain pounds your windshield, turning your view of the highway into a distorted, splotchy mess, every clap of thunder making you jump. But that's not even the worst of it. Then comes the lightning, bright and sudden. A bolt flashes mere yards away from your car and you think, geez, good thing lightning never strikes in the same place twice. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, We'll hear about the ancient gods of thunder and lightning and explore whether or not they still hold power today. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Let's be honest. Thunder and lightning can be beautiful, but they can also be terrifying. This fear comes from the sheer power on display. They're celestial, almost divine phenomena. So it's no wonder that ancient cultures thought thunder and lightning were governed by gods. The ancient Greeks had Zeus and his thunderbolts, while the Norse had Thor and his hammer Mjolnir. But as these figures passed into legend, thunderstorms continued to collect superstitious significance. Early Europeans rang bells to try and scare thunder and lightning away. Navajo Native Americans used lightning in healing rituals. 19th century Russians poured water from the tops of trees in the hopes of attracting rain. Every culture had a different way of reacting, but they all agreed on one thing. Storms can be very dangerous. Floods and lightning strikes could decimate entire communities. Nowadays, we take our safety from the elements for granted. We have meteorologists, weather radars, and apps to tell us if we should carry an umbrella or ground any antennas in our backyard. But what if we've gotten too cocky? What if, when the clouds turn gray and the rain starts to pour, we need a little extra protection? Today, we'll explore that possibility. 
I'll tell you the story of a man who chased a torrential thunderstorm all the way to East Texas. He hoped to catch the once-in-a-lifetime weather event on tape, but when he got to his destination, he found something much more magical. To begin, let's take a page out of Shakespeare. Thunder and lightning. Enter three witches. Eric knew that every time he did something like this, he nearly gave his mother a heart attack. He'd heard it a thousand times. Why can't you have a normal job? Well, Eric wasn't a normal person. He had a calling. The first time Eric was in a severe thunderstorm, he was four years old. He remembered it perfectly. The deep gray clouds, the pounding rain, the wind that threatened to lift his father's car right out of the driveway. His parents pulled him into a closet and told him to crouch into a ball and put his hands over his head. That night, Eric thought he might die. He'd never seen his parents scared before. But the next morning, everything was fine. Sure, some tree branches had broken off, his father's car was dented, beaten by hail, but they were all alive. So, the next time a storm came, Eric refused to crouch inside the closet. Instead, he sat by the window and watched the lightning streak the sky. Soon, he went from staring through glass to standing on the front porch, feeling the wind whip his hair around his head. When Eric got old enough, he knew there was only one job for him. To his mother's dismay, he was going to be a storm chaser. The problem was, storm chasing wasn't exactly a lucrative career. The pay was all right, but unless you landed your own TV show, you weren't going to get rich doing it. Eric, however, wasn't deterred. It was 2015. YouTube and Twitter could work miracles. If he could catch one incredible thunderstorm on tape, it could be his big break. So he was heading from Dallas to a tiny East Texas town called Lone Oak, chasing what some news stations were calling the storm of the century. The drive only took about an hour, but the difference in landscape was stark. Dallas was home to nearly 1.5 million people. Lone Oak had a population of exactly 600. Eric had gone from a modern metropolis to the Wild West. And as far as he could tell, he was the only person within a 20-mile radius who hadn't evacuated. Meteorologists predicted that within hours, the tiny town would face a life-threatening thunderstorm. Buildings would flood, lightning would strike, entire homes might be torn from their foundations by the wind. But Eric wasn't worried. He was excited. He pressed the gas, anxious to get to the center of town and set up his video equipment. Ah, Eric grumbled. He'd driven straight into a pothole. The equipment he'd stacked in his back seat tumbled to the floor and slid beneath the seats. He didn't have time to stop and make sure everything was okay. The rain was picking up, thunderclaps were becoming more frequent, and lightning flashed across the darkening sky. Eric kept driving. He could see his destination in the distance, the Lone Oaks City Hall. 
The building was probably the sturdiest in town, and it had a small porch with an awning. The perfect place to set up his tripod, assuming his equipment was still functional. As he headed towards City Hall with his windshield wipers going a mile a minute, Eric noticed something strange. Houses in Lone Oak were few and far between, and the ones he'd passed were abandoned. But one home, a small, rickety cottage, still had its lights on. He approached the cottage and leaned on his brakes. There were no cars parked outside. A terrible thought gripped him. What if the people who lived here got stranded? Eric parked his vehicle on the side of the road. The very least he could do was call the police or fire and rescue. Eric pulled out his phone and groaned. He didn't have any service. With no other choice, he cinched the hood of his jacket, jumped out of the truck, and dashed through the storm to the cottage's front door. Eric figured he could offer whoever lived here a ride out of town. All he needed to do was get one really good video of the lightning. Then he could zoom away, keeping them all safe. He knocked on the wooden door. Eric heard shuffling inside. Someone was definitely home, but why? The people in this cottage didn't seem like storm enthusiasts. Their porch was decorated with eclectic items, wind chimes, jars, and a mesh bag filled with what looked like twigs and grass clippings. As Eric stared at the odd bag, he heard the door unlock. The knob turned, and the cottage door slowly creaked open. Before Eric stood an elderly woman. She couldn't have been more than five feet tall. Two long white braids framed her wrinkled face. Her eyes narrowed at him. Who are you? She asked. Her question was so forceful that it made Eric stammer. I, I, I'm Eric. Eric Ray. Didn't you uh, see the storm? I thought you might be stranded here. The woman's brow furrowed. She haughtily replied, We're not stranded. Well, what are you still doing here then? Eric heard the sound of something bubbling on a stovetop. The woman said, We're making dinner. As if it was the most obvious thing in the world. Eric didn't know how to respond. The old woman was clearly confused. As calmly as he could, he said, Haven't you heard the warnings? There's going to be a flooding soon. Gale force winds. Her blue eyes widened. Slowly, a smile crept across her face. She started to laugh. The sound was loud and unsettling, even through the heavy rain. Dear boy, my sisters and I are perfectly safe. We've taken all the necessary precautions. The windows are lined with acorns. There's a wooden owl on our roof. We've even got bells at the ready, in case the thunder becomes too much of a problem. Eric couldn't help it. His jaw dropped. Before he could stop himself, he asked the woman if she was joking or crazy. This was the wrong reaction. The woman's face turned sour. For a moment, Eric worried she might grab him by the throat, but she simply slammed the door shut. Eric stood in the rain, unsure what to do. He couldn't just leave the old woman and her sisters alone. The storm would flood the cottage, regardless of their precautions. What did the old woman said? Acorns? Wooden owl? If Eric drove away, he'd never forgive himself. 
He knocked on the door again. It flew open, but this time, a different woman stood before him. She was tall and slender, grey hair cropped close to her head, and long earrings reached down to her shoulders. She held out one bony hand and said, Hi, I'm so sorry about my sister Matilda. She can be a little... you know. Anyway, I'm Agnes. Why don't you come inside? Eric stared at Agnes's hand, stunned. He refused to go inside. Instead, he begged the old woman to come with him. The sky seemed to agree. Eric, you really mustn't worry, Agnes said. Three quick thunderclaps means you'll have good luck. Eric was speechless, but he couldn't leave these people behind in good conscience. As Agnes beckoned him inside, he grabbed her hand. You have to come with me, he pleaded. She slid her hand out of his, placed it on her hip, and said, Mr. Ray, we're not going anywhere. What is wrong with you? he cried. Agnes sighed and shook her head. She closed the door. Eric heard the lock turn. He stood there, dumbstruck. His sympathy gave way to anger. If these old women didn't want to come with him, fine. Whatever happened to them would be their own fault. Eric turned on his heel. He stomped back to his truck. Then, a bolt of lightning struck the hood. Sparks flew. Smoke rose from the vehicle. Eric felt a lump rise in his throat. His Ford. His storm-chasing truck. Without it, he had no way home. Maybe, just maybe, it would still drive. He ran to the driver's side, threw open the door, and shoved the key into the ignition. Another bright flash of light nearly blinded him. He felt an electric current run through his limbs. Every muscle in his body seized up, then relaxed. Then the world went black. Coming up, Eric's storm chasing reaches new heights. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Eric's eyelids fluttered. 
and slowly he opened them, struggling to focus. He saw image after out-of-focus image, a grey-haired woman staring down at him, a bony hand ringing a silver bell. Another woman, her hair in long, white braids, stood next to the first. She held a bundle of herbs over Eric's body. She lit the bundle with a match, then drew circles in the air with the smoke. Eric's vision was hazy, but he could have sworn he saw a shimmering light in the fumes. He shook his head. It had to be an optical illusion. Then he caught a whiff of the smoke. It smelled like sage and black pepper. He bolted upright, suddenly awake, hungry, confused. Oh good, it worked, said the grey-haired woman. Eric must have looked stunned because she continued, Don't worry, you've only been out for a few minutes. Eric tried to breathe to make sense of his situation. The woman with the braids stared at him with her arms crossed. A third woman, her hair raven black, bustled around the room, stacking acorns on the windowsills. Eric looked down. He was on a red velvet couch. It all came flooding back to him. The strange cottage, the weird sisters, his truck struck by not just one, but two lightning bolts. He remembered the grey-haired woman offering him her hand, inviting him inside. Agnes, he said. Glad to see you've kept your memory, she smiled. He had, but he almost wished he hadn't. A life-threatening thunderstorm was about to blow through this tiny East Texas town. Panic seized him. His only mode of transportation had been destroyed. He was stranded in a rickety cottage with three old women who thought acorns and wooden owls would protect them. Eric jumped off the couch. We have to leave, he said. The three women all turned to look at him. Don't y'all have a car or something? The raven-haired woman scoffed. We use brooms, thank you very much. Eric ran his hands through his hair. Great. He'd gotten himself stuck with three women who thought they were witches. They didn't have cars, telephones, or even a radio as far as he could tell. All they had were bells and acorns. Eric shook his head and sighed. We're not going to survive this. You really must calm down, Agnes said. Her white-haired sister, Matilda, handed him a bowl. Rosemary-scented steam rose from the contents. Eric eyed the bowl suspiciously. What is this, some kind of potion? Matilda simply said, It's soup. Eric wasn't going to leave anything to chance. He set the bowl on the countertop. The raven-haired woman rolled her eyes at the clear lack of trust. She said, I told you we should have left him outside. Agnes shot her sister a glare. Hush, Blair. He doesn't understand. Eric couldn't help it. He laughed out loud. It was the only way to deal with the absurdity of it all. He didn't understand? Who were these women with their bells and their velvet couches and their bubbling stew to tell him that he didn't understand? A harsh buzzing interrupted Eric's laughter and the house plunged into darkness. The power had cut out. Through a half-open window, Eric saw the sky, so gray that it was nearly black. 
The wind rushed with such force that trees bent sideways, their trunks threatening to snap in half. Pieces of debris, rocks, branches, and shingles torn from neighboring houses slammed into the cottage. The walls shook. Eric's heart leapt into his throat. He ran to a window and pressed his face against the glass like he had as a child. He stared at his once beautiful truck. The hood was charred, and even more tragically, the driver's side door was still open. Rain blew inside, flooding the interior. His video equipment was probably swimming in the back seat, destroyed. Matilda said, I think we're going to have to do something. Eric's eyes widened. Finally, the white-haired witch spoke again. The acorns and bells won't be enough. The wind must have blown our wooden owl off the roof. Across the room, Blair's face fell. She mumbled about grabbing something called the Thunderstone. Agnes ran off in search of iron rods. Eric stood in the living room, deeply confused. His stomach grumbled. With no other options, he picked up the bowl of stew and started eating. The three women sat on the velvet couch. Eric watched from the kitchen as they spoke amongst themselves, formulating some kind of plan. He could only pick out a few words. Ritual, iron, incantation. Then he heard Matilda say, It'll have to be done on the roof. Eric nearly choked. (laughs) We can't go on the roof, he said. The witches turned to him. Eric, come here. Agnes patted the couch. He hesitated. He didn't trust these people. But then again, the soup hadn't hurt him. At least, not yet. He trudged over, feeling as powerless as a petulant child. Do you know how you survived that lightning strike? Agnes asked. Luck, he said. Agnes shook her head. Oh no, not luck. Matilda saved you. That smoke you saw was magic. Something she whipped up to revive you. Eric looked at Matilda. He almost expected her to break into a smile, but her expression was deadly serious. We did you a favor, Agnes continued. And now we need a favor in return. Eric sighed. Nothing was ever free in this world not even life-saving magic that may or may not actually exist. Agnes said, As you can see, we're... we're old. Much too old to climb up a ladder in the sunshine, let alone on an evening where our dear Zeus is so terribly worked up. So, we need you to do it. To complete the ritual. Eric stammered that he didn't know what kind of ritual she was talking about. The storm warding ritual. It's quite simple, really. All you've got to do is climb onto the roof, hold up these two iron rods, and chant these words. Agnes grabbed a piece of yellowed paper and shoved it into his hands. There was some kind of poem on it, written in faded ink. You're trying to get me killed, Eric stammered. Agnes said she wasn't trying anything of the sort. She wanted to save them all, but they needed to appease Zeus, and that meant the witches needed help from Eric. But Eric was skeptical. Why would he need iron rods? 
It's good luck to carry them during a storm, Agnes smiled. Eric rolled his eyes. It was a good way to get electrocuted. Well, you've already done that once, haven't you? She said. There wasn't a hint of irony in her voice. All three women, Matilda with her braids, Agnes with her bright ideas, and quiet, raven-haired Blair, stared at him solemnly. Outside, the wind snapped trees clean in half, water pooled in the streets, the beginnings of a flash flood. Eric swore he could feel the walls of the cottage beginning to crack. He had two choices. He could watch while the house flooded, or he could climb up to the roof and try to stop it. It was crazy. He knew it was. Even as he grabbed the iron rods and memorized the ancient poem, even as he ran out the front door and scaled the slippery ladder to the cottage's roof, he knew that it was all lunacy. But he did it anyway, because it was better than allowing the storm to sweep him away. By the time he made it to the roof, Eric was drenched. He shivered and braced himself against the wind, holding onto the shingles for dear life. From here, he should have been able to see the entirety of Lone Oak, but the rain fell in such thick sheets that he could only see a few feet in front of him. He could barely hear Agnes's voice when she yelled at him to chant the words. Eric went to speak and immediately got a mouthful of rain. He spat it out and recited as quickly as he could. Most glorious of the immortals, ever an all-powerful Zeus, we mortals call upon you, your invincible hands, your lightning fort thunderbolt, to bring forth order from chaos and save us from this wicked storm. Eric pushed his dripping hair off his forehead and waited. Nothing happened. Then, through the rain, Eric heard Agnes yell, You have to say it like you believe it. Eric swallowed hard. Frustrated, he screamed, But I don't! A different voice, Blair's, broke through the rain. She told him that he had to. Eric took a deep breath. He tried to imagine Zeus as he'd seen him in books and movies, some muscle-bound lightning god floating on a cloud. No, that image wouldn't do. Instead, he focused on a being that was beyond human. No face, no bulging biceps, no beard made of clouds. Just raw power, uncontaminated by stereotypes or storybooks. As he stood there on the roof, a single bolt of lightning forked through the sky, illuminating the ash-black clouds. Eric's eyes widened. For an instant, he was back in his childhood home, nose pressed against the window, watching the magic of the heavens unfurl before him. Yes, he thought, that's the God I'm looking for. Eric felt a rush of warmth. The sky itself radiated strength, power, electricity. It made Eric dizzy. He found his balance and looked back down at the poem. This time, when Eric began to chant the words, his mouth didn't fill with rain. He shouted at the sky and he felt weightless, unafraid. He begged for help like he meant it. And help came. The 
rain lightened to a drizzle. The clouds faded from grey to white. The grumbling thunder receded and the lightning fizzled out. When Eric looked down, his clothes were completely dry. He was so stunned he thought he might faint. He shook with adrenaline and relief. When he looked down, he saw Matilda, Agnes and Blair staring up at him from their backyard. Blair looked relieved. Agnes gave him an ecstatic thumbs up. Matilda crossed her arms and raised her eyebrows, giving Eric a pointed, but please look. Eric clambered off the roof, still breathing heavily. The three witches embraced him. Then Matilda pointed towards the street where Eric's truck had been charred and flooded just a few minutes before, only now the Ford looked brand new. Looks like the lightning god felt a little guilty, Agnes smiled. Eric ran to his vehicle. The keys were in the front seat waiting for him. When he stuck them in the ignition, the truck roared to life. But just as he was about to press the gas, Eric realized he didn't want to leave. He used to think Lone Oak was just another old farm town, but he discovered something incredible here. He'd had a brush with Zeus, for goodness sake. For the first time in his life, he'd felt real power. He couldn't give that up. He pulled the key out of the ignition and jumped out of the truck. Eric's heart was pounding. He felt high on adrenaline. He didn't let himself think. He just ran to the old witches and said, I want to do that again. At first, the witches looked taken aback. Blair actually rolled her eyes. But Agnes held her hand out, just like she had when she first invited Eric inside. Her lips turned up just slightly at the corners, and something sparkled in her eyes. Come back into the cottage, she said. You've got a lot to learn. Eric swallowed hard. This was the beginning of a new life. He'd study day and night, do whatever he had to do. He wouldn't just chase storms anymore. He would control them. Almost all the superstitions that we have about thunder and lightning have to do with controlling these natural forces. We ring bells, carry iron, or pray to higher powers with the intention of either bringing storms or casting them away. These practices persist today because, regardless of our modern advancements, we still have trouble protecting ourselves from severe weather. For example, in the Kisi region of southwest Kenya, about 30 people die of lightning strikes each year. Scientists think this is probably because of the village's high altitude and reliance on metal roofs. Even though lightning rods have been installed in the hopes of protecting people, strikes are still unusually common. So, unsatisfied with modern technologies, people in the Kisi region rely on their own unique superstitions. One of which might actually be more effective than lightning rods. They believe that avoiding lizards can protect them from strikes. And, in a way, they're right. You see, Lizards are more likely to be found in trees with a lot of sap, and more sap makes trees better conductors of electricity, which 
makes them more likely targets for lightning. In other words, people in the Kisi region picked up on the fact that lizards tend to hang out in places where strikes were more common, so they stayed far away from the reptiles. Even though the science wasn't immediately clear, their instincts were dead on. All this to say, not all superstitions are baseless. We pick up on patterns subconsciously, and as shocking as it may seem, our weird beliefs might actually protect us. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. We will be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Superstitions was written by Karis Allen, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petras. I'm Alastair Murden.